0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So here across
1: the campus is 12 Stone Home. Welcome to church. Um, God answered a weird prayer request for me this week. I've always asked, I want a deep, rich speaking voice like John Maxwell. Like, you know, guys who like, you're golden, baby. You know, people who talk like deep and rich, and I didn't expect it to come through being sick, but uh, I feel more masculine today. So if anyone wants to meet me in the lobby, I feel like I could take you today with the nice baritone sort of deal in my, in my chest. Now, I'm glad to be here, and I, I'm going to warn you, today is, I... I I'm physically weary, but spiritually so excited. I think God has something for his church today. And there's something stirring that I think God wants to speak to in the life of our church. And I believe that God brought you here for a reason. For such a time as this. And this is an age-old conversation that applies to exactly where we are as a country, as a culture, as a people, as a church, as an individual. See, as we were inside the last series, a battle for our minds. As I was reading and preparing and praying and studying, God brought another thought to my head. That that if there is a battle for our mind, mental health, emotional health, I actually believe there's a competition as well, but there's a competition for our heart. And this world has so many things that compete for the affection, the attention, the first and the best of our hearts. And there's no end to the list. And what if God today and next week in this sort of couple week conversation, what if God wants to get first things first and best things best and speak to the competition for our hearts. Because listen, we talked about this in the last series. God doesn't separate our hearts from our houses, or our souls from our careers, or our spirit from our calendars. Like to God, this is all, we're a whole person. And it's not just your mind, it's not just your strength, it's your heart. And God speaks to this all over the place. We used this verse last series, Mark twelve thirty. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And also your soul and your mind and your strength, because there's a competition for your heart, for what you will worship, what gets first and best. In fact, there's a reason that God started the Ten Commandments with this as the first one. He says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Why does God have to say that? Because we all have a tendency to put other things before God. Because we have relationships and career and success and money and reputation and status. Our hearts were created to worship. But sometimes in the competition for our hearts, things get before God. That's why God had to start like commandment number one. I got to be first. First commandment. And that's why Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything else flows from it. And that word guard, it's actually communicating like an active guarding. It's not like you you lock your door and go on a trip. It's an everyday guarding because our hearts have a propensity to drift for what you worship and what is first and best in your life. And I believe God wants to speak to that this week and over the next two weeks, and if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this conversation, all that I hope you experience is that there is a God who is wild about you. And he doesn't want anything else from you but your heart. And he might have brought you here to hear there is a God who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. All he wants is your heart. And if you are a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that the spirit of God would speak to us and examine our hearts, and speak to the places openly and honestly where perhaps we need to have a conversation that Jesus, we claim him as as a savior, but do we live as if he's Lord? Jesus is my savior, but is he the Lord of my life? Is he first and best? Is he the, the object of my attention and my affection, or is he just a ticket into eternity? And I'm telling you, church, this is the conversation for where we live right now, because there is a competition for your heart for what gets first and what gets best. And so I want to play this out with a a picture. Uh, Anybody like not like heights? Like you don't like the the thing like on a tall building looking down? Wow, I feel weaker, but my voice is deep. So I still feel manly. I don't like heights. I would have never said that. But I'm watching my youngest son, Lincoln, like he won't go close to the edges of anything. And I'm like, I feel the same. I'm afraid of height. I don't like being up on high places. The problem is, is if you're a man, there's moments where you, you got to climb ladders and get stuff done, right? And, and when, I was, when I was in high school, my brother and I and my, my dad, we had a, a painting company. And that's how I paid for college was through painting houses. And I still, you won't believe me, but I still have nightmares once or twice a year on a couple of the jobs where my dad, we're like, we're at the end of the job. The whole house is painted except the, like, the peak of the top of the side of the roof. And we're like, we got to get this done. And we didn't have the kind of money to go run a bucket truck to lift you up. So there were times where we'd take a ladder, climb to a roof, put the ladder on that roof. And then on the top of the ladder, feather brush, all right, good enough. It's, far, it's high enough, they'll never see it. And I still have nightmares where I'm up there, and you know that feeling where you're shaking? Uh, Maybe three years ago, I had one of the floodlights on the top of my house go out, and it's about 16, 17 feet up, which is not crazy high, but I only own a 12-foot ladder. And so I had to climb to the tippy top of the ladder, and my wife's at the bottom holding it, and literally, she's praying, Jesus, I pray protection of her And she's down here just holding this thing. And I'm up there going, less praying, more holding. You know, like, it's scary. <laughs> and I, I, like, literally, with the tips of my fingers, just got the light in. And then, like, six months later, it burned out again. I'm like, you know what? Guess what? It's still burned out to this day. I, it's not worth I'd rather it be dark than me be dead. So, so I don't like ladders. In fact, I have a distrust sometimes of ladders. So I don't like heights. This is... This is just one example of why I just don't like heights or ladders. Check this out.
0: This is either going
1: to work or it's not. That's foreshadowing, by the
2: way.
1: You heard the laugh at the end, right? I just need you to know. I wouldn't have shown that if we didn't laugh at the end of that. Here's the point. You had better trust the ladder you're climbing like that, that that's that's my, my, my point you had better trust the ladder that you're climbing and I've seen this illustration played out for years different people have used it for different sort of reasons but but i want to I want to have the conversation in in this lane the ladder you choose is the lord you lean on the ladder that you choose to climb the ladder you choose to trust is the Lord that you lean on. And I want to take us to an Old Testament story. That's one of my favorites, but I have to set the scene of sort of the entirety of the Old Testament. And this is, if you want like a one hundred and one, what happened in the Old Testament? See, God picked his people, the Israelites, and he said, you are my people. I am your God. And for most of, of, of the time, they were Trusting in God and climbing his ladder. And this is where my trust and my hope and my faith and my worship goes. But over time, as the world would get shakier, things would get confusing in the world. They would begin to look around at culture, other people, or how other nations did things. And they would like real subtly start to slide down this ladder. And then like, well, they do this and they start straddling the ladders like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, 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 for sure. But Also, this other thing is sort of, I see a lot of other nations and people and countries do this. This is good. And then over time, they wouldn't even realize the fact that they took their foot off this ladder and were beginning to climb the ladder of the world or other gods or idols or um, a list of things. And then what God would do is he would send a priest or a prophet or a king or an event to wake his people up And go, the thing you're trusting in is not trustworthy. And they would turn back to God because God's nature is he wants to protect and provide for his people, but he can't provide when you're not on his ladder because the ladder you choose is the Lord you lean on. And this is the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites back and forth over and over and over again, which is why I'm so grateful for Jesus. Because he made a way to solve this wrestling and go, you can, you can trust my father in heaven. But the story we're in today picks up after King David hands the kingdom of Israel to his son Solomon and then Solomon starts out real good and then he, he marries some women from other, other nations and starts to worship a little bit of their gods and then there's a string of evil kings and finally scripture picks up with King Ahab and Scripture doesn't mince words. King Ahab is called the most wicked of all the kings. And what he does is King Ahab sets up an altar to another god, Baal. And in this competition for the hearts of God's people, there's this ladder to trust that is God's ladder. And then there's this ladder to trust that they started to worship another god, fail. And the story today picks up with God's people straddling two ladders. And I want to tell you what's so scary. God's people didn't fully abandon God and their worship of God. They still worshiped Yahweh, their God, but they had a foot on both ladders And this is haunting because this is clear, and this is clear. This gives you just enough hope that whatever way this thing turns out, I'll be good. And they would literally, listen, they would go to the altar of God and offer offerings and sacrifices and worship and say, God, would you provide for our crops and provide for our our way of life? And would you provide income for us? And would you protect us? And then they would go to the altar of Baal and do the same thing. They were hedging their bets like, God, if you don't do what I think you're going to do, maybe Baal will. And they stood there and they would pray to Baal and say, Baal, you're a God over the crops. Would you send rain? And would you make our crops grow? And they go, God, if you, if you deliver, awesome. If Baal delivers, awesome. Either way, the outcome works. We're good. And God, as he often did, sent a prophet. In this case, it was the prophet Elijah. And God sent Elijah to King Ahab. And he said, listen, God is not okay with straddling ladders. And so he's going to cut off the rain and it's not going to rain again until I say so. And for three years, there's a drought. And God's people are like, God, are you going to send rain or bail? Are you going to send rain? Someone just send us rain. Three years later, Elijah shows back up on the scene. And he shows up to King Ahab. And here's what King Ahab says about Elijah. He says this. You can throw it up on the screen. Ahab went to meet Elijah. and When he saw him, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Like he's going, you're the one who caused this drought as if he had nothing to do with it. And, and Elijah did the ultimate comeback like a, I know you are, but what am I? Little anyway, here's what he says. Next verse. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you And your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. He's saying, listen, you're straddling. You're leading God's people to worship not just God, not first, not best, but shared worship. A backup plan to your God. And Elijah shows up to say, listen, this is not how this is going to play out. Next verse. And Elijah said, we're going to have a competition and he called his people out and he said how long will you waver somebody say waver. waver. how long will you waver. waver between two opinions if the Lord is God follow him if if Baal is God then follow him but how long will you straddle the ladders he's saying you gotta pick your ladder Israel you're supposed to be God's people pick your ladder. And they go on top of Mount Carmel. Not the candy, although Halloween was this week and I ate some caramel. Mount Carmel. And, and they, they, they sort of drew battle lines. And there were 850 prophets of Baal and then Elijah, a prophet of God. And Elijah said, we're going to see once and for all which ladder is worth trusting and worshiping, which God is real And these prophets of Baal begin to scream and shout and cut themselves and cry for hours saying, Baal, there's an altar right here. Send your fire and show everybody that you are who you say you are. And they're barking up this tree, yelling to Baal, Baal, do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be God and screaming and yelling and bleeding out. And, and Elijah is like, he's like my spirit animal because he's got like, he loves to just pick and dig at these people. And when it's not working, here's what Elijah starts to say to them, just kind of spitting some game. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. We'll come back to that word. Or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Can you feel like the snarkiness in what he's doing? That word busy, you know what that word actually means? It means relieving himself. He's saying this. Maybe your God's going to the bathroom, and you got to knock on that bathroom door like a toddler to a mom, right? Like, come on out. Like, he's spitting game. Nothing happens. And the Israelites, standing between these two gods, and for hours upon hours, Baal does not do what a God's supposed to do. And then Elijah goes, it's my turn. And here's what he starts with. He says, next verse. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. And listen, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. The first thing he did was put first things back to first again. This altar had sort of been in disrepair for a while. You've been sort of doing this double thing. And this altar has been in disrepair. And and Elijah went and said, first thing we do is we repair the altar of the Lord. Because he is already first. He is already preeminent. We just haven't been living like it. And then Elijah, after the hours of screaming and trying to get Baal's attention, Elijah delivers like a short prayer to God. And here's what he says. Then he said, well, shoot. He actually adds to this, by the way, back to the snarkiness. Before he prays, he fills large jars with water and pours them on the wood over and over again. So like imagine trying, if you ever tried to light a wet piece of wood, doesn't work like Elijah's going I'm going to even up the game here and then he offers a prayer he says answer me Lord answer me so these people will know that you Lord are God and that you are turning their hearts back again then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench in a moment, Elijah just goes, God, I'm asking you, your people are wavering between two opinions, two gods. Would you make yourself known so you will turn their hearts back to you? Would you wake them up before it is too late? And here's the response of the people. Go back. The response of the people. One back. There he goes. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When they saw God take his rightful place and go, I am God, they turned and they said, God, I trust you. You are the Lord. In this moment, the nation of Israel turned their hearts back to God. And in a moment, they went from idolatry Back to lordship. God, you are are the one who protected us and provided for us. You parted the Red Sea, and we are so prone to forget the one that saved us, the one that rescued us. And we look at the Israelites and go, you guys are the worst. God's people back then just kept drifting from his. How could you forget? And then I look at my own life, and I find myself here more times than I'd like to admit. Because, man, my heart was designed to worship, and there's no end to things that I can put my trust in other than God, and this conversation today is timely for me and for our world because there are things that we are so prone to worship other than God because we were designed to put something first and best The question is, what is first and best? And this pattern of, I trust God, to then I look around at the culture around me, what everyone else is doing. How does everyone else handle the practical things, the calendars, the money, the relationships? How do people out there handle it? And we find ourselves straddling and we don't even recognize it sometimes. See, why did God send Elijah? Because the people didn't even realize they were doing it. It culturally made so much sense. as what every other nation did. But God's people were called to worship God alone. And he says, you got to wake up. And in God's kindness to them, he woke them up before it was too late and let them return and put him first and best lordship and worship again. Because here's God's desire. God desires to protect and provide for those that worship him as Lord. And the story started with a drought. And then when God's people turned back, Elijah said, there's a little cloud out there. I see the rain coming. And after three years of drought, when God's people turned their hearts back, the rain began to come again. And that is the nature of God. God wants to provide and protect, but he loves us too much to do that if he's not first and best. And God allowed his people to suffer three years of famine and drought until they turn their heart back. And as soon as they turn their heart back, he turned the spigot back on from heaven and the rain came and there is a competition going on right now for your heart as well. Now it's it's far more subtle than it was back then, but it's no less consequential because remember the ladder you choose is the Lord that you lean on. I'll just take a privilege. In the American context of church, I think we are particularly vulnerable to this conversation because things work just good enough that you, we don't naturally have a desperation for God. See, the thing I, I appreciate about the Old Testament is it's so clear and black and white. There's no rain Life is really hard. Crops don't grow, food not there. No Aldi to get food from, I'm desperate. Today it's complicated cuz the subtleties of life works just good enough that I don't hunger and thirst for God like I know I should. And if I could have a conversation with our church it would be this, life is just good enough. It works just good enough that we can find ourselves right here and not know it. And we can claim the things of God when it's convenient and then look to other things to protect us and provide for us and not even know we're in the competition. Just so we're aware, God is already first. He is already preeminent. He is already unshakable and holy and perfect and strong. And Jesus is still on the throne right now. Us saying that he is first or worshiping him doesn't change the fact that he is who he is and will always be that way. But it does change us. God's not looking for our affirmation like a social media post. Will you heart that? Oh, thank you. He's up there like I am who I am. I just want it to change you. And it's interesting that Elijah says, how long will you waver between these two things? Like you're waffling back and forth. God's people, when will you choose? Who is God? When will you choose? And then Jesus has a conversation in Matthew 6, and he says it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Elijah said, how long are you going to waver? Jesus said, you can't, you can't follow two, two masters here. You can't serve two things at, at, at once. And you, you might have heard that verse before and never seen the picture, but can I just play it out? You can't climb two ladders at once for very long. If you know me, you know I'm not flexible. I I feel like I was built with all bones and no like tissue. Like I, this is about as far as I can go. Like at some point, this is getting dangerous. At some point, I'm on cough syrup. Pray for me. At some point, you got to decide which. Lad- I'm not going to do another one. Like you got to decide. You can't serve two masters. You can't climb two ladders. At some point. You've got to choose who you will serve. And we can play the religious games of straddling and hedging our bets for a certain amount of time. But at some point, the divide of how you do relationships, how you build calendar, how you do your life, how you do morals and character and what gets first and best in your life. There is a divide between the way the world does life and the calling of God for those who follow him, and you cannot serve two masters. You will eventually hate one and love the other, or hate one and love the other. You can't do both. It's like, like ladies, imagine this. This guy you've been dating for 18 months, man, you're in love. He goes and buys a ring and like, hey, will you marry me? And you're like, this is the moment. And you're ready, Like, you ugly cry, right? And there's like, your best friend has a camera hidden in the bushes. Whatever y'all do these days. And then he goes, and by the way, no pressure. Because if you say no, I got this girl, Susie. She has the same size finger as you. The ring will fit just fine. What are you going to say to that clown? Uh, Excuse me? Like, that only works on The Bachelor, right? Like, where you have multiple roses, which is bananas to me. Anyway, you go, you got to... Pick one, dude. You can't hedge your bets in this. What if this is the conversation God wants to have with his church? And here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, it was Baal versus God. But when Jesus starts this conversation in Matthew 6, he picks a very particular idol and says, listen, you can't serve two masters. And here's how he ends the conversation. Put that up there. No one can serve two, be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is the conversation that Jesus starts in Matthew 6, because I don't know about you, I've never been tempted to worship Baal. Like I've never been like, today I'm going to do my devotions to Baal. I'm going to write a worship song. Oh, Bail, you're so great. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I, so I'm like, I'm good. From Mount Carmel, Elijah, God, I checked the box. But money, unlike most other things, has the ability to rival for our worship and our first and our best and the competition in our heart between God and money is alive and well. And you go, why money? Did you know that one in 10 of every New Testament verses is talking about money? Do you, know, you know that? Like Jesus, when he talks about what is Lord of your life, most of the time he connects that, like he did here, to money. Because money has the ability to take on characteristics that God alone was supposed to do for us. You know what money makes me feel like? Safe. Money makes me feel protected. I don't feel vulnerable when I got five grand in my back pocket, which I've never had, but that'd be cool. Like, I don't feel like if I got cash in my pocket and like I get a flat tire, flop, flop, flop. Let's go. I don't like money makes me feel protected, provided for and secure. I sleep better when I got a stash. Like money, money makes us feel like it can deliver on things that only God was supposed to deliver on. And it's so dangerous because our our heart gets so ingrained with our money because it feels like it could replace God, much like Baal made God's people feel like. Because listen, God doesn't separate your paycheck from your prayer life. This is all the whole of who we are as people. Like, God doesn't compartmentalize these things. He's like, I want all of you, I want your heart, I want your time. I want first and best in every part of this. Why? Because Matthew 6 21 says it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in the competition for your heart, it's fascinating. It's not where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's where your treasure is, your heart follows. And God's not interested in your wallet. He's interested in your heart. But the problem is they're inseparable. And, And I I don't think many, most or many people would say, I worship money. I wouldn't say that. But it's it's not like God's people back then were saying, I worship Baal. They were just saying, I'll take a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal, and we'll see how it plays out. Let me put it in our context. Sundays I'm going to worship and pray and I'm going to do the church thing and I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to be a daymaker and serve. But also I'm going to hedge some bets here because if God doesn't do what I think he should do, at least I got this backup thing over here. that'll, That'll play out for me. And most believers aren't like, forget God. It's this straddling thing where we go, God, if you are who you are, I know you deserve first and best, but I'm going to go like, I'll give you like second an optional or one B or like, God, you're still like in first place, but it's a tie. So yeah, hey, you both get trophies and God's going, listen, this is not how it works. If I am who I say I am, it's both feet all in. I trust you, God, in the good, in the bad, in the ups, in the downs, I trust you. When the world is shaky, I am all yours. If you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin and you made me new creation, a new creation in Christ, and if you made a way, then this is the only option for worship. This isn't worship. This is a ring and two girls with options. This is hedging our bets. And can I get real practical and honest? Why are we having this conversation now? Because I don't know what the future holds. And this is a conversation of preparation. And part of my calling and my role here is to hear from God, seek God, watch the world, listen to smart people, talk to people smarter, further ahead in life and the world than I am, and to to sort of read the the consensus of what's going on and bring it back to say, if this is going to happen potentially, what does the church need to know now? And I want to talk to you now before what could happen happens. I don't know what the economy is going to do in 2024. I don't. And if you're 25-ish years old, you've lived through three times when the world shook Many more small times, but three times where the world shook. The ladder of the world was shaking. We can go back to 9-11 and the whole world shook. We thought we were safe, protected, can't be touched. That happens and the world shakes. Then in 2008, we go, man, but I got equity in my home. I got that. That's protected. And the world shook when the economy crashed in 08. Then just three, four years ago, COVID hits. and We go, well, my house doesn't have value, but at least I have my health. And now that's being shaken from us. And when the world shakes, it it reveals what ladder you're climbing. And and I don't know what 2024 holds, but we could be in for a tough economy. And I want to have the conversation now before the ladder starts to shake. And let's say the experts are wrong. You know what's even more dangerous than that? A good economy. Because then you lulled into the false sense that money can deliver like God and you'll climb higher before it falls. So regardless of what happens, I believe God brought this church here today and for these next couple of weeks to have a conversation about what ladder you're climbing because here's what you have to understand. No one would climb a ladder that they don't believe is safe and i would never climb this ladder never you know why cuz the middle is not connected there's a reason i didn't go past step 3 i would have died i would never climb this the problem is when you look at this ladder from the outside it looks like it's going to be able to deliver but in reality there's nothing connecting it it's hollow it's empty And what God did on Mount Carmel was open his people's eyes. Listen, Baal can't deliver. His ladder looks good, but it's going to fall. And I'm here today to tell you this. Listen, money looks like it can deliver, but that ladder is going to fall. This can't protect you or provide for you. Only the ladder of God can. And in God's kindness, what if he would wake us up before the ladder we're climbing actually falls? Because listen... It doesn't matter if you're both feet on this ladder or one on each. If this ladder falls, you fall. There's no middle ground in your worship. There's no room for sharing in your worship. God is either first and best or he's nothing. And the problem with the context of Christianity in our culture is we feel like there's a middle option and God goes, no. No. If I am who I said I am, I deserve your first, your best, always. Because remember, the ladder you choose is the Lord that you lean on. Next weekend, I'm going to continue to apply this, make this more practical and actionable. But today, the point of today is to invite you, to invite the Holy Spirit, to help you examine, if you were just honest, what ladder are you climbing? Again, I'm not going to check up on you. This is not like, hey, send an email and tell me. I'm not, this is between you and God. If you were just honest, if you're here, you probably got one foot on the ladder. Like you're If you're not, if you're truly seeking, I pray that you would see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and you would. But most of us, we got at least a foot here. But if you're honest, where are you straddling? Like, where do you play the game of religion, but then you don't live it out in your life? Like, maybe it's a relationship. Yeah, I trust God, but I also trust this this relationship, or I trust my career, or my IQ, or my abilities as well. Where God's going, yeah, I gave you all those. And really, where are you straddling between God and money? Because money feels like it can provide and protect and secure and give peace. But I'm telling you, nothing can do that consistently like God. And we're going to make it practical next week. But I, I asked the guys, could we, could we save some space at the end to worship? And really more than that, it's, I want to give you space to wrestle down. Where are, what ladder are you actually climbing? And the guys are going to sing, and I'm going to give space. And during this song, I want you to have an honest moment with God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably know all this stuff. The question isn't, do you know it? The question is, are you living it? And in the competition for our heart, God is either Lord or he's not. He's first or he's nothing. He's best or he's nothing. And if we follow Jesus, moments like we're about to have after this song, moments of offering, are an opportunity to establish again who is first and best. And God doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart and your worship. For many of you, You're in this, and this is just a moment of gratitude where you just whisper, God, you are first and best. You still are, you will be. Thank you for your provision and your protection. For others, you were and you've drifted and you know better. And you know in your soul you're straddling. And God brought you here to say, like He did with Elijah, if I am God, worship, follow. If not, dude, you better enjoy this life because that's all there is. But if I am. God might call you to return and you might be wrestling with like, I've never even thought about this. Like money doesn't ever feel spiritual to me. Like it feels practical in churches, the spiritual, and maybe the spirit of God just can invite you into a wrestling. So for the next five minutes, as the bands across the campuses lead us, you can like sit and you don't need to hear more of my words. You need to wrestle this down with the spirit of God who is first and best. Are you straddling this ladder or do you in this moment have the opportunity to say, God, I want to trust you fully. And so as the bands lead, would you wrestle and the pastors will be up in a minute to instruct you on the rest of the service. Worship well.
2: There's no one nothing